So reading from Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles, their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and the tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my pure heart and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken about that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Well, good morning, uh, Riverbank. Uh, Before I begin, I thought I'd take this opportunity because it may be my last opportunity to say a huge thank you to you as well uh, for my time here. It's been wonderful to serve alongside you, to fellowship with each and every single one of you. So for me, thank you. It's been a great blessing uh, to be a part of Riverbank for the last few years and I'm certainly going to miss it. But Before we jump in, how about I pray and then we'll look at Psalm 73. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for scripture that you have given it to us, every part of it. As we open Psalm 73, may you open our hearts to receive your word. Incline our hearts towards you, that we may know you, treasure you and delight in you. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, it is officially December. Christmas is just around the corner. Life certainly feels jam-packed and busy, and I'm sure many of you are looking forward to having a well-earned rest over summer. Perhaps some of you are planning a little getaway. 
That's what I've been doing with a few of my mates. And a key aspect to planning any good trip away is doing your research, comparing all the different options so that you can make the best decisions. For us, we started off by comparing all the different locations we could travel to. What's the weather going to be like? Too warm, too cold? What attractions does each place have? How long should we travel there for? We then compared flights, different prices, different times, different airlines. And then we did the same for accommodation and each of the other details. But we don't just compare details when we plan a holiday. We are constantly comparing every decision in our life. From the big decisions to the small day-to-day decisions. We compare. We compare what school we should send our kids to. What car we should buy. What career pathway we should take. What hobby or sport we should sign up for. What Netflix show we should watch. Even what we should eat for breakfast. We compare. Now there are many reasons why we do this, but one key reason is because we want to make the best, the right decision. And in life, there is no bigger or more important decision to make than should I believe and follow God. This decision has implications for everything. It has implications for life today, for the various life stages ahead, and also for eternity. It's a big decision. And in Psalm 73, the psalmist Asaph, he is struggling with this decision. He has decided to believe and follow God, but he's having serious doubts about whether he's made the right decision. And I wonder if this is something you have previously or are currently struggling with. Perhaps you've decided to follow God, but in the back of your mind, you have some lingering doubts. Or perhaps you continue to come to church regularly, but truly you're sitting on the fence, keeping your options open as you try to determine what the right decision is for you. Or perhaps today, you've essentially given up on God. You've decided that there are better ways to live, and you're ready to leave God and the church behind. Well, in this psalm, we're going to track with the author as he voices these major doubts, as he reaches a crisis point and encounters God, and how this encounter gives him a clear understanding to make the right and best decision. So major doubts, a crisis encounter, and a clear understanding. Let's look at our first point, the major doubts. In verse 1, Asaph begins by declaring what he has come to believe. He says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. You see, Asaph was a man who had devoted his entire life to serving God. He was a descendant of Levi and served as a chief musician in the sanctuary. He would have grown up in and around the temple courts, hearing about God's goodness to Israel. His goodness in rescuing them from Egypt. His loyalty to them in the desert. His faithfulness in leading them into the promised land. His devotion to establishing Israel 
and needs mercy to them time and time again. Asaph also would have seen God's goodness with his own eyes because he was appointed by King David himself and he led in the dedication of Solomon's glorious temple. Asaph had come to believe that God is good and he looks after and he cares for those whose loyalties lie with him. I wonder, how many of us have come to believe that God is good? Perhaps you heard stories growing up from parents and grandparents of God's goodness. Perhaps in Sunday school or at school or at youth group, you heard about God's faithfulness. Perhaps you've seen it with your own eyes, his loyalty, power and mercy in your life. And in your mind, you believe that God is good to those who follow him. Yet Asaph's heart is torn. He's beginning to have major doubts about God's goodness and whether his commitment to God has been worth it. These doubts have arisen as he compares his life with those around him. And he observes in verse 3 that it is actually the wicked who appear to be prospering. In verses 4 and 5, he notes that they appear to have no struggles. They are healthy and strong. They appear to be free from common human burdens, of trouble, of labor. And they avoid toil and illness. And his heart is growing envious of them. And yet, to make matters worse, they boast about this prosperity. In verses 6 to 9, they boast about their good fortune. They wear it around their neck like an idol they adore. They gleefully clothe themselves with violence, it says. Like their evil evil behaviour is the swagger they display with arrogance and zero remorse. Their self-indulgence hearts lead them to further iniquities. The literal translation in verse 7 reads, Their eyes bulge with fatness, and their evil, their evil imaginations have no limits. In verse 9, their arrogance swells as their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. They announce their superiority like they are untouchable. In verse 11, they even mock God, possibly claiming that God doesn't exist so their actions will go unchecked. Or more likely, they are claiming that the Most High, which is a title given to the protector of Israel and the sovereign ruler of humanity, that he's pathetic and a pitiful God. He has no control. He does not protect his people and he does not bring them any success. And this proclamation from the arrogant has people turning to them, seeking their knowledge and advice, drinking up in abundance every word that spills from their mouths. Have you ever felt like Asaph? You desire success, prosperity, a carefree life, but you feel like your loyalty to God is in vain. You keep your heart pure and your actions innocent. For no avail. You purify yourself from sins. You avoid iniquities. You generously serve others. But you question if it's worthwhile. 
We begin to grow envious of the arrogant. We wonder how people like Dan Andrews could be elected again. How Instagram influencers like the Kardashians have people crawling to them. Or how the self-indulgent like Clive Palmer and Gina Reinhart can continue on their merry ways. Like the superannuation ad that's been running for years that tells us to compare the pair, the alternative option looks quite appealing. And so when we try and understand all this, just like Asaph tries to understand all this in verse 16, we are left confused and deeply troubled. And we are, when we are left with these doubts, we can slip. We can slip quite easily. Perhaps you're currently wrestling with some of these doubts. You think to yourself, how much easier would it be not to go to church and to not give to the offering and instead have that extra time and money? Or what if you decided to put your own interests above others at home and at work? Wouldn't that make life so much easier? Or what if you decided not to follow all of God's instructions and instead you're able to choose for yourself how best to live? Perhaps you've seen friends and family members follow the crowd and wondered whether it would be easier to join them. As a teenager or a young adult, you see many of your friends give up on God and you wonder, perhaps you should too. They seem to be going okay. Why not join them? If you compare the two lifestyles, for the majority of people, it appears straightforward. Choose the prosperous, successful, carefree life and leave your burdens and troubles behind. But there's a glaring problem here with Asaph's comparison. Throughout verses 2 to 16, Asaph doesn't mention God once. The only mention of God comes from the mouth of the wicked in verse 11. Asaph has taken his eyes off God. God is not in the picture anymore, and as a result, he has compared Christianity without Christ to the non-Christian lifestyle. But Christianity without Christ is nothing. It is empty. It is vain. It is pointless. Yet don't we find ourselves falling into the same trap? We compare the non-Christian lifestyle against the Christian lifestyle, but we exclude God. We seek satisfaction from the Christian lifestyle, but we exclude Christ himself from that life. It's like Richmond without Dustin Martin, a Commodore without an engine, a house without electricity, the band Queen without Freddie Mercury. You're missing the main part. But this leads us to our second point. Because amidst Asaph's crisis in verse 17, he returns to the sanctuary and he has an encounter with God that drastically changes his perspective. He realizes that he'd neglected the most central part of his faith. He'd neglected God. And if we pause and take a moment to reflect upon our own faith, we need to ask ourselves the question, how central is God to our life? How frequently do we finish a day without acknowledging God? How often do we open the Bible seeking wisdom and guidance for our lives? How regularly do we find ourselves on our knees in prayer 
in utter dependence on the sovereign Lord? Does his discipline guide you? His compassion overwhelm you? His grace delight your heart? Maybe a good indicator of how central God is to your faith is what you share with others when you teach them. Teach your grandkids, your kids, friends, colleagues about Christianity. What comes to mind as the important things to share or the benefits of Christianity? Are we teaching others the morals or the lifestyle of being a Christian? Or are we teaching them Jesus himself? Like Hannah's kids talk, are we teaching them about God? Or are we teaching them to encounter God himself? Because we've, if we exclude Christ from Christianity, we're not left with much. Certainly not anything very appealing. But you see, that's why Christ's life and death are the center point of Christian faith. When humanity encountered God fully through Jesus, history changed. When people encounter the living God, lives are transformed. When Asaph encounters God, his perspective drastically changes. In verse 17, when Asaph enters the sanctuary of God, we don't know specifically what occurred, but the important thing to note is that Asaph returned to God. He was deeply confused and considering abandoning the faith, but he returns and he seeks God. And as God is reintroduced back into the primary position of his life, he declares with clarity and great delight that he now understands. So, so far, we've seen how we can have major doubts about whether following God is worthwhile. And we've realized that these doubts frequently come when we distance ourselves from God. But now we want to explore how encountering God gives us a clear understanding so that we can make the right, the best decision about whether God is worth following. So that's our third point, a clear understanding. So, having encountered God, Asaph declares that he now understands the final destiny of the wicked, both their eternal destiny, which we'll look at first, and their earthly destiny, which we'll look at after. And so, as he looks at their eternal destiny, Asaph proclaims in verses 18 to 20 that they will be cast down to ruin. In an instant, they will be swept away, and they will vanish like a dream when one awakes. When we encounter God face to face, we are besieged by our own eternal despair. Asaph is faced with a destiny that awaited him if he was to follow the path of the wicked. And for a brief moment, in verse 21 and 22, he grieves. He grieves how his folly led him to despise God, yet envy the wicked. But this shame and grief quickly turns to immense delight. As he recognizes his commitment to God has not been in vain. Asaph shares in verse 24 that it is God, his Savior, who will take him into glory. And in heaven, it will be God most high who will be the sole delight of his heart. The reason that God 
brought, that brought God to earth as a man was his overwhelming desire to share his goodness with his people. It was this desire that joyfully led him to die on the cross to save us from our sins. And it is Jesus' death and resurrection that gives those who trust in him complete assurance that he will take you into glory with him so that you may delight in his goodness for all eternity. And while as Christians we rejoice, we rejoice along with the psalmist for the glory and delight that awaits us in heaven with God, if you're anything like me, you struggle more to grasp the delight that Jesus brings us now on earth. And it's this thought that led Asaph astray. And it can lead us astray too. But it's not only in heaven that God brings us delight, because God created us to delight and to enjoy life now on earth as well. And in verse 18, Asaph renews his comparison. He realizes that the way to enjoy life now on earth is not by following the ways of the wicked, because their delight is on slippery ground. It is insecure and it is temporary. Their good health, they boast about. It could vanish in an instant. The human struggles they have avoided will confront them. Their wealth they amass will not resolve life's ever-approaching difficulties. Their iniquities that appear to have no consequences will catch up with them. And their self-indulgent hearts will leave an ever-increasing empty hole in their own hearts. And for the majority of us who live in relatively wealthy, well-off neighbourhoods, amongst people who are affluent and carefree, we can be misled to believe that their lives are built on solid ground. But if we examine it, and perhaps examine our own lives more closely as well, we begin to notice how slippery the ground they reside on is. And at any moment, if they haven't experienced already, their delights could be swept away, like the floodwaters that capture everything in its path. Yet in comparison, those who understand the vanishing nature of earth, they develop a dwindling desire to, fo- they develop a dwindling desire to follow the path of the wicked, because they recognize that God is the greater delight. That is what Asaph has come to recognize when he proclaims in verse 25 that earth has nothing he desires besides God. He goes on in verse 26 that declaring that even if his flesh and his heart may fail, God is the strength of his heart and his portion forever. Literally, God is the rock of his heart and his provision, his wealth forever. I want to invite you for a moment to think about the one thing you desire most right now. The one thing you wish would happen that would bring you the most to light. I wonder what it is for you. And I wonder if the solution to that desire is not what comes to mind first, but instead... It's actually Jesus. For some, 
Raising a family is exhausting and you yearn for rest. What if Jesus was the rest that your soul needs? For some, loneliness is an empty experience and you crave a companion. What if the presence of Jesus in your life each day was superior? For some, you feel the intense pain of the loss of a loved one and you desperately want them back. What if the hope of Jesus gave you joy through that grief? For some, illness, aches and pains cripple you daily and you cry out for them to be gone. What if the comfort of Jesus made you understand his grace more deeply? For some, peace eludes you as burdens at home and work pile up. What if Jesus could carry the burdens for you through the darkest valleys? For some, we feel lost in ourselves and we don't know who we are. What if Jesus, crowning you as a son or daughter of God, became your true identity? And for some, life is good. Yet lasting joy seems to disappear far too quickly. What if Jesus gave you lasting joy in every moment? What if Jesus was the true fulfillment of the things we desire? What if earth actually has nothing we desire besides Jesus? What if Jesus was the strength of our hearts and our portion in heaven and on earth? As humans, we're created to enjoy and delight. And the greatest delight on earth comes through encountering God. We don't have to wait until heaven. Instead, God helps us delight in our earthly world better by helping us understand how temporary and fragile things are. But more so, he helps us understand that he is the delight of living on earth. And so as Asaph returns full circle to believe and understand what he declared in verse 1, that it is good to be near God. His delight in God in the final verse is overflowing. He no longer has any doubts about God's goodness, but rather he desires to tell of all his deeds. In the last 12 months, my two older siblings have become parents for the first time. And I love being an uncle, and they love sharing photos and videos of my niece and nephew with me. Because it's easy to share what we love. In fact, everyone is a good evangelist for what they love. Even the arrogant in this psalm are good at it. If you think about some of the things in your life that you love, your kids, your recent holiday, your car, your favorite sporting team, your favorite hobby, your achievements. We have no problem sharing and talking about these things. Asaph has no problem telling the world about the good deeds of the God he loves. In verse 10 of this psalm, the people turn and they drink up waters in abundance from the mouths of the wicked. People are thirsty for true delight and for a solid ground. And in our current society, people are drinking from every cup available to them. I wonder what would happen 
if we shared the living water of Jesus with the thirsty. And they drank and were satisfied. Riverbank people are thirsty. But first, grab a drink yourself. Taste, see and be satisfied in Jesus. Then go and share that living water with others. Brothers and sisters, it is officially December. Christmas is fast approaching and in this season that is silly and quite busy, we can easily get distracted by the plethora of good stuff, the fun activities and the many things on our lists we need to get done. We'll probably find ourselves comparing Christmas presents, Christmas parties, school awards, holidays, family gatherings, meaning you'll have the opportunity to share your yearly highlights with cousins, uncles and aunties. And in all of this, we can very easily be tempted to take our eyes off God. And before we know it, we have slipped and removed Christ from Christmas and Christ from our lives. But if you find yourself drifting once again, return to God and encounter his goodness. We can return and remember that Jesus came to bridge the great divide. He came to satisfy the wandering heart. He came to share his goodness so we don't have to remain separated. Instead, we can say that as for me, it is good to be near God. Riverbank, there is no greater delight on earth besides God and there will be no greater delight in all of heaven than God himself. Brothers and sisters, it is good to be near God and to tell the world of all his wonderful deeds. Amen. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we want to praise you and thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, we thank you for your goodness in sending your Son, Jesus Christ, God himself, to earth, to teach and to share, but Lord, to die on the cross for our sins and to raise again from the dead so that we may have forgiveness for our sins and be able to know you on earth and in heaven. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us, your goodness in being able to know you and be near to you. Lord, please help us when we have doubts, when our feet begin to slip, Incline our hearts to you and draw us back to you. May we have the support of one another as a church to remind one another of God's goodness and that we will come and encounter you once again. Lord, please be our delight here on earth and Lord, we look forward to the day when you will be our delight in heaven for all eternity. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.